Greetings and welcome to Lucky Number 7, the 7th episode of the Driving You Crazy podcast. I'm Denver 7 traffic anchor, Jason Luber. And I am Denver 7 overnight producer, Joseph Peters. Speaking of 7s, there are 7s in both of our Twitter handles. I'm Joseph Denver 7, you're Denver 7 traffic, and we have at least 7 things to talk about today, right? Oh, we have a lot of things to talk about. It's going to be a jam-packed episode here today, and you know, we are in full winter mode here in Colorado. It is a snowstorm, not of epic proportions but we are getting snow. Uh, We've seen snow around other places in the country, and we're recording this during this Arctic blast. And you walked to work this morning. I mean, walk safely, drive safely, be ready for it, I guess would be my best advice. Make sure you're wearing something to cover your face. You're going to be silly enough to walk in this weather (laughs) because your head is where all your heat goes out of. Um, Yeah, it's definitely snowing out there, but it's a beautiful thing, too. I think that's part of the reason I moved here, at least me, was for the snow. Uh, Someone in the newsroom asked me the other day, if she should warm up her car if she leaves it out overnight. I told her what she should do is drain all the oil from her car and replace it with a fresh pot of piping hot tea. I I said lemon zinger or that English breakfast are my personal favorites. After some blinking and uncomfortable laughter, I said if you have an older car, yes, but modern cars, no. I'm looking at your notes for this story, and what we never get to is the part where this employee, who is not going to be named here, says, oh, I get it. It was a joke. I think she actually is brewing a pot of tea right now before she heads to work. Well, I talked to some car guys, you know, and they tell me the long-held notion that you should let your car idle in the cold, it's only true for carbureted engines. It's been 30 years since carbureted engines were common in cars. Most of us have engines with electronic fuel injection. They're automatic. They have have these sensors that compensate for the cold by pumping more gas into the engine so the engine continues to run rich in that way until it heats up to about 40 degrees or so. They tell me that driving your car is really the fast way to warm it up and get the engine up to 40 degrees. So then it'll switch back to a normal fuel-air ratio. So just sitting there letting it warm up doesn't really do anything, and idling does really little to to warm up your your engine or the cabin. It's really not going to warm up just by letting it sit there and idle. They say the warm air is generated by the radiator that will then flow into the cabin after a few minutes. Once you get, then you'll get all warm and toasty, but really the best way to do it is to start driving. Start the car, take a minute to knock the ice off your windows, and get going. That's what they say. I found this so surprising, but uh, it, it actually makes it kind of sense, I think, once you explain the carbureted engine side of things. It makes a lot more sense as to why you should just get in the car and start driving. Now, of course, hopping in your car and gunning it like you're on the uh, Daytona 500, that's going to put unnecessary strain on your engine, so you probably don't want to do that. It takes about, what, 5, 10, 15 minutes for your engine really to warm up, depending on how cold it is once you start driving, so... They say just take it nice and easy for the first part of your drive, and off you go. There you go. I think the perception that you need to idle your car to get it warmed up or whatever exists because people think they can get in their car and gun it like Daytona. And if you've ever done that, I know you've probably done that. I definitely have, where you feel the car just sort of lurch forward because it's not ready to go that fast quite yet. My car will never go that fast. Uh, The big story in Colorado this week was when Colorado State Trooper Cody Donahue, he was hit and killed near Castle Rock by a truck driver who crossed the white line and hit the trooper while he was investigating a separate crash down on I-25. And this is the second state trooper killed in nearly the same area in a year's time. The day before Cody's funeral, many local police agencies here around Denver had their officers out doing this special enforcement campaign centered around the move-over law. It's been around for a while. It's, it requires drivers to move over to another lane when they approach any emergency vehicle or responder. It's basically anything 
any vehicle with a yellow light, red light, blue light, if, if it's got a light on it and it's flashing, you should move over. Um, it includes police and fire trucks and tow trucks and Department of Transportation vehicles, any, any of those, really. And the law, it, it doesn't really have a lot of teeth. It's been in effect since 2005, and, and if you're caught, you get an $87 ticket, which really isn't that big of a deal when you're talking about how big of a deal it is when the consequences are the death of a trooper. Absolutely. And, and anecdotally, the day of the funeral, I was looking at one of the CDOT cameras, and there was a state trooper. He was out with a disabled truck on the side of the highway, and 90% of all the drivers, they were doing the right thing. Maybe they were thinking about this. It was in the news, so they were thinking about it. And they moved over to the left lane, but I saw time after time a frustrated driver pull around the traffic in that open lane and then drive past the trooper, past the person, people that are on the side of the, the, the road there. And some of the drivers that use that open lane, they even sped up past the trooper thinking, why is everybody slowing down? I can use this open lane and then cruise right by. So this, this brings me to a question that I have. If the move over law doesn't have a lot of teeth, admittedly, right? It's an $87 ticket. Yeah. And you can't pull over everybody on I-25. But couldn't you, through one of the CDOT cameras, maybe set up like a red light camera type thing where you could catch the license plate to these people and then retroactively ticket them when you looked at the footage? Legally, I don't know. With the photo radar, mm-hmm. they have to set up a sign that says we are conducting a photo radar or photo uh, red light camera ahead. So you have to have that warning. Then there has to be somebody... Well, at least with the photo radar in the van monitoring the equipment. And then even when they send you the ticket, then then you don't even have to pay the ticket, really, because you're supposed to be served. Now, some lawyers will say getting that ticket in the mail is you are being served, but others will argue, no, I need a, a, some, a rep- representative of the court because that's basically what a ticket is. It's a, it's, it's a summons to court. Um and so if you don't get that personally served by somebody, then, then the ticket is invalid. Gotcha. But that, and that goes against the spirit of the law, though. I think uh, yeah, at the end yeah. of the day, it should be. Okay. Yeah, somebody has to actually pull you over and do it. Now, the most heartbreaking part of this recent trooper death for me, um, that the trooper had two little girls. And they're just a little bit older than my two little girls. The wife of Cody said in a statement that Cody was the rock of the family. She said he was always there to make them smile, lend a hand, give a hug. She says, our hearts are forever broken. We do want to take this opportunity to ask all who have been touched by this tragedy, please don't drive carelessly. If you see emergency personnel on the side of the road, please slow down and move over. Two little girls uh, are going to grow up without their daddy, and there's just no good reason. That's what the wife of Cody said in that statement. And this really does hit home to me. You, you don't have kids yet. Um, I know you're, you're going to have some eventually. The, my girls are the center of my life. I can't imagine the heartbreak his wife is going through, uh, what those two girls are going through right now, and how it's going to affect them for the rest of their lives. It's just terrible. There's no good words to say in that situation. Yeah. And it makes me think back about the other trooper who was killed, Trooper Jersifix, who last year in almost the exact same place, she had just returned to work after having a newborn baby, and now that one-year-old girl would never know her mommy. The trooper was investigating a, a crash on the side of the interstate near Castle Rock. She got a call. There was a report of a drunk driver heading her way. That driver ended up hitting her while she was investigating that accident right there on the interstate, and, it, and she was killed. And that driver is in jail right now, so his life is wrecked. She's dead, and the life of that little baby who never got to know her mommy is forever changed. There's no good words to say here either, but to reiterate... What was said in that statement from 
the Donahue family, please don't drive carelessly if you see the emergency personnel on the side of the road, whether it be a tow truck driver, a trooper, anybody, just slow down and move over. It's really as simple as that. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I cannot agree more. My heart breaks every time I see somebody that's forced to grow up without an important part of their family, whether that's a spouse, whether that's children, whether that's a parent. I think that's heartbreaking no matter how you slice it. And what I would say to drivers out there, and this makes me sound like my father, but one of his favorite statements was, it's not a right, it's a privilege to drive. And you need to take it seriously when you're behind the wheel. You need to be paying attention when you're behind the wheel. I think this is a culture where a lot of people are willing to get distracted. They're willing to text on their phone. They want to check their Facebook page. They're bored sitting at a stoplight. They're bored doing 65 miles an hour. In other countries, you're not allowed to do that, and there are serious consequences for doing that. I think people in this country have a tendency to take that driver's license for granted as something that they deserve, and something in that car is something that they deserve. And you have to earn those privileges. That's why you have to wait until you're 16. That's why in a lot of states they make you go to driver's ed classes. And for people to not take it seriously and get distracted for 30 seconds, you don't know how many lives can be impacted by what that 30 seconds of distraction can be. It is. And it's it, like you said, you said it perfectly. It's just it's just heartbreaking. And and like we said a minute ago, the two troopers that were killed in nearly the same section of I-25, just the south side of Castle Rock. Now, the, the Department of Transportation here in Colorado is already studying that stretch of Interstate 25 and what can be done to widen it and make it safer. Some were saying that maybe the shoulders are too uh, narrow. Actually, I got that question on my Facebook Live broadcast last week where somebody was asking about this section of road and the uh, shoulders of the highway and, when, and can they be widened? Well, That section of interstate from Castle Rock down to Monument, it's two lanes in each direction. Every day they say, get this, 117,000 drivers travel through there. And it's one of the spots where we see a high number of crashes because of the speeds that are involved. And some roads are able, because of the way they're designed, to have folks drive faster. Others are not. And this was not designed yet for people to drive as fast as they are. And most of the crashes are pretty violent because of that. Now, from January 2010... To June of 2015, there were almost 5,000 crashes that hurt nearly 1,300 people. One of our reporters found that out when they were doing a story down there. And the governor would like to see this section of I-25, as well as up north of town, they would like to see it widened. Uh, The reason is to increase mobility, according to him, of commerce, and the other added benefit would be safety. Now, for the last couple of years, Governor Hickenlooper has asked the state legislature to find a way to pay for the additional lane to make it at least three lanes in each direction between Fort Collins and Colorado Springs all the way through there. Uh, The problem, though, is that the, is the, the, the state DOT, they just don't have the money to do it. Amy Ford, she's the CDOT Director of Communication. She says it would be safer if I-25 from Castle Rock to Monument was widened because there's not enough space for all the vehicles that are driving through there right now. They would be able to improve the width of the shoulders. The road would be uh, able to handle the higher speeds and all the vehicles that are down there right now. And even with state patrol enforcement, and they do enforce that area a lot, even with aircraft, drivers tailgate, they speed, they drive recklessly. I've seen it. I'm speaking from personal experience here. I see it all the time. People go really, really, really fast down there, and then they jam on their brakes as they're about to crash into somebody because they're going so fast, and they're running into slower traffic. Um, Especially around Larkspur, around some of those curves, it, it can be really dangerous. It's not safe. We don't have a camera in here, but I'm just nodding along with everything that you're saying. It you could not be more true, everything you're saying about that stretch of road. The, the, now, the governor often uh, compares I-25 north and south of Denver to Utah's Interstate 15, that corridor between Ogden and Provo that goes through Salt Lake City. Now, the highway has at least three lanes in each direction. It has light rail to 
The Colorado DOT says, though, Utah collects more money than Colorado for road projects and their higher gas tax and their one cent statewide sales tax. That pays for roads and then they can get they are able to get it done. Colorado doesn't have that. Utah increased its gas and diesel tax to 29 cents a gallon last year. Now, Colorado's gas tax is still 22 cents a gallon. Our diesel tax is 20 and a half cents a gallon. And it hasn't been changed in, in, what, decades. We talked about this in an earlier episode about the gas tax and about that idea that the Department of Transportation had to charge you per mile you drive to collect more money for road projects. Going back to Amy Ford, uh, who is the communications person for CDOT. She says, quote, what has to happen to have six lanes between Fort Collins and Colorado Springs, very frankly, is more money, unquote. That's their standard line the past half dozen years or so for most of the new highway projects that I've talked to them about. This is why you're seeing these express lanes on all the highways, because they just don't have the money right now to pay for them. And that CDOT budget is around $1.3 billion. There are transportation needs all over the place whether it's maintaining the roads or building new ones, and most of the budget is actually going towards maintaining what they already have. The project to widen I-70 on the east side of town that there's a federal lawsuit against right now, they want to lower the interstate, build a park, build a road on top of it, all that. The price tag of that one is basically $1.2 billion, the CDOT budget for the year. So that's that's why they're going to do that project if they can in 2018, and, and they have nothing else that they can they, they can do because they're running out of money. Wow. So Amy Ford estimates it costs to construct one 10 to 15 mile long lane of highway in each direction around $240 million. That's one fifth of the budget just to finish that project down there. Um, And then other people around the state cry, why does Denver get all the money? Why does Metro Denver and the Front Range get all the money when the rest of the state needs needs stuff too? Yeah. So adding new capacity like on I-25 north or south, it costs a lot of money and it's money Colorado doesn't have right now. The one thing... That would help get these projects complete, I think, would be that uh, promised Trump infrastructure spending plan. So if we can get some of that money, that that would help out tremendously. Uh, Agreed. I mean, I I know we're running a little tight on time here, but what would it take for the Colorado, the citizens of Colorado to really get behind the sort of gas tax increase that would raise the CDOT budget significantly to get some of these projects done? I don't think you need to get up to Utah level, but if you added three cents to the gas tax, I would imagine there's a lot of things you can get done. There's going to be a lot of pushback. You're going to want to pay more for your gas tax? <laughs> I'm young and naive, so yes, the answer is. But and, and you know, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, what sort of public campaign would you have to run to really convince people that this is a necessity that we need to be spending more money on? Urban drivers don't drive as much as the rural drivers. So the rural drivers are going to say, no, we don't want it. Um, but the urban drivers are going to say maybe it's okay. It's just it's one of those uh, urban versus rural part, and we have a lot of that here in Colorado. So maybe having higher, uh, wider highways would have helped prevent what happened in both accidents that killed the troopers this past year. They were a case really of drivers who either didn't pull over, didn't pay attention to the what was going on next to them, or driving under the influence. And really, that's what needs to be fixed first. And then this widening thing needs to be fixed later because it's free and it saves the lives of not only police, but tow truck drivers, firefighters, anybody who's on the side of the road. If we get people to pay attention, not drink and drive, that sort of thing, that can save lives more than widening the highway. Yeah. And I think stiffer punishments is really the answer here. You don't want to be a law and order type person necessarily, but get a law with some teeth on the books and maybe we'll see some changes. And maybe it's time to take a break here. So we'll have some promotion messages from a couple of our 
Denver 7 Morning Crew that uh, that you can watch every morning. You can actually check them out online if you go to the denverchannel.com and you can see us every weekday morning broadcasting from 4.30 in the morning till 7 o'clock Mountain Time. We'll be back with more of the Driving You Crazy podcast and an interesting story and my rant on speed bumps. That coming up as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. You're listening to Driving You Crazy with your host, Jason Luber. People say, you get up at 2 in the morning to do this? You must get used to that by now. No. We hate getting up at 2 in the morning. We hate being here at 3 a.m. Except we like our jobs and we like the people we're working with. And we have a lot of fun. We should probably sell tickets to the show during the commercial break. We couldn't air all that material, could we? But it's still a lot of fun. And we're just committed to making sure that, you know, you get your, you started off on your day correctly. So it's worth it to us to get in here before the sun even comes up to put it all together for you. Mitch Jelnicker, only on Denver 7. Who is the funnest? Is funnest a word? The more fun, the more funnest uh, person to work with on the morning show. Honestly, it's probably Jason. And I'm looking right at him as I'm telling him this. But it is. We have so much fun together. We have a long history together. I know his wife from back in the day. We have almost a little too much fun. We make each other laugh constantly. But I think that's what brightens up our show and it gives it energy and and makes it a, a fun thing to watch. Lisa Hidalgo, only on Denver 7. some international flair here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Joseph, this music makes me want to go to Ireland right now, hang out in one of those traditional Irish pubs, you know, in a small Irish town, see if I could understand what the locals are saying. Try to try out your fake Irish accent, see if anybody catches on. <laughs> Blarney. I'm not good at that. You know, some of those accents are really thick in those, in those real traditional towns, you know. It sounds really cool, but it can be very difficult to understand. Uh, my wife yep. has been to London. I think it was a senior band trip or something like that. I've never been there. Have you ever been there? No. No, I've, I, the farthest I've traveled out of the country was to Montreal, where the only thing that I'd learned how to say in French was, Je parle un peu de français. Parlez anglais maintenant, s'il vous plaît, which means I only speak a little French. Please speak English now. Okay. They eat that up in Canada, man. <laughs> <laughs> one day, Joseph, will make it there one day. Uh, by the way, did your wife ever let you jump that freight train to Grand Junction that we talked about last time? She did not. Uh, yeah, me neither. All right, on with the podcast. Uh, what do you think is the state with the best and worst drivers in the country? I had a lot of time to think about this one, actually. So there's a lot to pick from because I've lived in a lot of states with terrible drivers. Uh, Georgia, you're off the hook. Massachusetts and Connecticut, both very bad. Very bad, very rude people. Nevada has got to be the worst. Hmm. I received a study from the folks at Quote Wizard, who, and I don't know why, but they looked at all kinds of different data. And they came up with the final rankings are some of all the accidents, speeding tickets, DUIs, citations, and fatalities in each state. The best state includes Nevada at number five, Michigan at number four, Mississippi at number three, Florida, surprisingly, at number two. And the best drivers, they say, in the country are from Rhode Island. They win, I think, because they're the smallest state in the union. I would think the Peter Griffin family guy factor would drop them to the worst category. (laughs) I mean, Rhode Island... For the what you see of the Peter Griffin stereotype, it's actually very quaint, very small town feel up there. A lot of 
vineyards and boats and things Never of that there. nature. Never so, yeah. Now, the worst drivers, Colorado comes in at number eight, Nebraska at number five, Maine at number four. Virginia, number three. I could see that with the Beltway area around there. Mm-hmm. California at number two. And the worst drivers, according to the folks at Quote Wizard, in the country are from Utah. you think with all that money they spent on roads, they'd be able to drive a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and according to this report, Utah is a second in the rankings for both accidents and speeding, as well as fourth worst for minor citations. Surprisingly, a state known for non-drinking, they're in the top ten for DUIs. Which is rather interesting. More fantastic. The the worst state for speeding is Virginia. And on average, they say the East Coast has better drivers than the West Coast. And the study from Quote Wizard also said that red states tend to have better drivers than blue states. I have no comment on that. Okay. What do you think about speed bumps? Hate them. Me too. I can't stand them. They are so annoying. They are, they are one of my banes of existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the contrarian who's saying right now, but they slow down speeders. I don't know if they talk like that. They do. Uh, okay, but when I drive over a speed bump, I hate it. What got me thinking about this story is I read this week about an organization in England. It's called the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence. They say speed bumps should be removed on all roads, and they say it because they think drivers who stay going at a constant speed rather than accelerating and decelerating while going over speed bumps will create less pollution. All right, I'll give them that. This group mostly is interested in reducing air pollution, but me, I'm interested in traffic flow. Now, constant flowing traffic is always more desirable than stop-and-go traffic, right? Speed bumps are installed in the U.S. mostly as a traffic slowing device, especially where speed limits are, let's say, 30 miles an hour or less. In my opinion... There are way better traffic calming methods like traffic circles, uh, those radar speed signs. Those are good. Speed bumps are popular in private parking lots, right? Mm -hmm. They're also, for some crazy reason, desirable in private neighborhoods. I'm not sure why, because the majority of the people that have to drive over them are the people that live in those neighborhoods. And they're always the little skinny ones that are like six inches too tall. They're tooth jarring, bolt rattling. There's those little ones that destroy the suspension in your car. You feel like you're being rocketed straight up in the air and then slam back down to earth. They're horrible. Preach on, Jason. If I have to go over one, I prefer those speed humps. Where I don't like reading about it. My wife doesn't like saying speed hump, but I, I prefer those where it's a little more gentle up and down. And it might be surprising to you, but there are actually several agencies and communities that have been sued for speed bump injuries. Could you imagine saying, I've been injured by a speed bump? No. Usually, it's from residents in the communities where they drive over those tiny little speed bumps all the time. They're actually doing harm to themselves because they're going over them multiple times a day. There's also apparently many spine doctors who treat people who say they were injured after repeatedly going over speed bumps. Because they're in their neighborhood and they're the ones that are driving over it, slowing down the people that live in those neighborhoods. That's insane. Emergency responders... They uniformly across the country don't like speed bumps. They say it reduces the response time. And you know what? In some instances, it's critical to whether someone might live or die. Uh, A group of emergency responders in one city says a 30-second delay in response time due to speed bumps could cost on average 37 people their lives. I I don't know how they figured that out, but I would think 37 lives lost because of speed bumps is too many. And I read a story where a police officer in Rhode Island, going back to Rhode Island, Get this, was launched in the air, 
After hitting a speed bump, he was responding to an emergency. He was so badly hurt, he had to go to the hospital. There was a fire truck responding to an emergency, and they went over one of these speed bumps. And the axle broke when it hit the speed bump, and it cost not only $15,000 to repair, but also they couldn't make it to the, to the uh, emergency response they were going to. Several of the firefighters in that same incident were injured after flying in the air of their cab. The, the speed bump flew them up in the air, and then they slammed them back down, and they all got injured. If speed bumps are that dangerous for healthy people, imagine what it does to the elderly and the handicapped when they get over the, go over those things on a regular basis. Another problem with putting speed bumps, to me, in residential areas is that it cuts down on traffic on the roads as the drivers then will divert their route to use other streets to avoid bumps, right? I would. Now, in the residents of the new route where people start going, they start demanding speed bumps or at least some kind of control device because now their once pristine street is now a busy street. Pretty soon you're going to have speed bumps all over town as people are driving in all these other roads trying to get away from the speed bumps, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So some other methods of speed control are those rumble strips, right? You've, you've seen them primarily to alert drivers if you start drifting off the highway, if you fall asleep or whatever, something like that. Uh, sometimes they can be up at an upcoming stop sign. If you're coming at a high rate of speed and you have a stop sign, they'll give you the rumble strips to, to warn you that something is coming up ahead. At slower speeds, the, the discomfort that they produce tends to be milder than at the higher speeds where it's rattling your car. Uh, there are studies that have been done to, to seem to indicate that rumble strips may cause drivers to slow down more than speed bumps. The biggest concern, though, with rumble strips is the noise, especially for people outside the car. The noise level inside the car with the windows closed found the rumble strips, they raised the noise level to nearly 100 decibels. But that's, that is kind of the point, though, right, is that you go over it and there's the bump, 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 but there's also that loud rattling noise to shake you because that's... I, I always view, view rumble strips as something that was designed for uh, to prevent people from falling asleep on the highway, not for right. accident prevention or to convince people to slow down. Or to slow, slow down. down, right. right. Uh, I, in, in either way, rumble strips or speed bumps, they're both not the greatest option. Right. I think the most effective slowing method right now continues to be those radar speed signs. They're the ones that show your speed to the driver. Some might think, hey, it's a, uh, it's a cool way to see, hey, look, how fast can I get this thing going? And, and what <laughs> can we make a record now? Uh, they can be permanently mounted like any other traffic sign. Uh, they can be attached to a trailer. You've seen those where they can be moved from one location to another. And they, they alert drivers to their actual speed as they pass by. Some flash warnings to slow down. The ones that I've seen, um, they will flash a red and blue light when it registers a driver going over a certain mile an hour, That's usually like 10 miles an hour. So it looks like it's a police lights, and it's warning you, hey, if you're going this fast, you'd be pulled over right now. Mm-hmm. Now, driver feedback indicates that those speed signs are actually more effective in slowing traffic, particularly when used in residential streets, like near school zones, uh, playgrounds and parks, that sort of thing, right? They apparently have the greatest effect on those, they say, uh, who travel significantly over the speed limit. And interestingly, research results also indicate that these traffic calming devices have a long-lasting effect. In fact, they continue to calm traffic even after they've become a long-standing fixture in a specific location. I've seen them around Highlands Ranch, and people will slow down even to this day. I still see people slow down for them even months afterward, After and they've been down there for quite some time. I found this whole piece fascinating about the way the radar speed signs work, and I think part of it is that when you when the driver sees them and they see the movement and they realize that they're the ones being clocked, a lot of times I, th- I would assume, and this is speculation, the driver 
genuinely does not know the speed limit or did not realize how much lower the speed limit was than they thought. They were driving in a 30-mile-an-hour zone, thought it was a 50, didn't realize. They see the 30-mile-an-hour sign. They see how much faster they're going. They take it down a notch, something along those lines. I, I think maybe we need more of these. I don't see why maybe all speed limit signs aren't equipped with something like this because everything you're saying makes a lot of sense, and if it works... Why not go with it? Yeah, and and I think some drivers wonder if there's a secret live photo radar ticket system in those machines, and that's one of the reasons they slow down because they've seen those ticket systems, right? There, There isn't one. It's just a radar gun that shows you your speed. They're not sending you a ticket because there are at least Colorado laws that we talked about that are specific where they would have to have a van and person and all that kind of stuff to send you a ticket. But even just having those machines where you might think there's a photo radar machine in there, I think that helps out a lot. And I prefer those to speed bumps any day. I I hate speed bumps. I can't tell you how much I hate speed bumps. They are the worst thing ever. I'm all set to go Dr. Seuss on you, too, and be like, but what about speed bumps in the Walmart parking lot? Is that uh, acceptable? No, it's not. Nowhere. 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 They're just, they're, they're just awful. Okay. I Yeah, even at the Walmart parking lot. Because that, that was the first thing that popped into my head. We never really talked about their use in a commercial space or in a parking lot where you have like a 10-mile-an-hour speed limit. There's still speed bumps. I mean, they're still knocking your butt and there, off the and seat. And those, those tiny ones, those <laughs> tiny ones that are like 15 feet high that you hit them and you just go, wham! Yep. And my wife, my wife, God bless her, I love you, baby, but always misses the first speed bump in a series of three. <laughs> like, can't help it. And she's always like, oh, didn't see that there. And I'm like, well. Oh, there's this one, there's this one speed, it's not even a speed bump. It's just this, it's kind of like this incline at this intersection over there in Lone Tree where it's actually like a launching pad and you'll hit it and it, you don't notice it. Some some drivers don't notice it. So it's not intended to be a speed bump, but they'll hit it and off they go. Zoom, baby. <laughs> Flying right out there. You just want to be a fly on the wall and get the picture of the face as they realize, oh, my tires are no longer <laughs> on the ground. Well, maybe that should wrap it up for this edition, uh, the seventh edition of this Driving You Crazy podcast. What do you think? Gets better every week, Jason. Yes, it certainly does. We have a lot of other good topics coming up in the next couple of uh, podcasts. We'll have one, I think, next week, and then we might take we'll take Christmas and New Year's off, and then be back after the New Year. So we'll have one more after that, and then. But when you get trapped in that holiday traffic crunch, make sure to think of us and email your frustrations to Driving You Crazy Podcast at gmail.com. There you go. Yes, and you can always follow us on the Twitter, on the Facebook, on the Facebook and the Twitter. I sound like I'm 78 years old. Uh, well, thanks again for listening. Be sure to catch our next episode. Until then, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. I'm Joseph Peters. And be safe. And as always, happy motoring. Thanks for listening to the Driving You Crazy Podcast. 